Welcome to the Realizing Genius Podcast. I'm your host, Heidi Christensen. This is where we dive in each week to chat about parenting, education, and realizing our children's genius. I'm an educator with a background in individualizing learning, and I'm obsessed with helping people find and nurture that genius in their children and themselves. Let's dive in. Hi, geniuses. Heidi Christensen here, and today I am with Vicki Amarine. Vicki, I am so happy you could be here today. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to share what I've been through. Yes. Now, Vicki has not homeschooled, but she has a unique experience that I know there are so many homeschoolers out there who are working with special needs. A lot of times homeschoolers have to pull their kids from the school environment because there just isn't the resources there to effectively help their kids. Vicki, you had a different experience. You had a special needs child and you jumped in and Oh my gosh, you did so much with the special needs community in your school. Can you tell us about that? Well, first I should clarify that I live in a very small rural setting. So our school system was very small. They didn't have a lot of external resources. Mm -hmm. And when they were first approached with my daughter entering kindergarten, I really wanted her to be mainstreamed. My daughter was born with spina bifida and had some medical needs that needed to be addressed. And my school was very apprehensive about bringing her into the school setting. They really wanted to send her to an orthopedic unit where they felt that they had nurses and OTs and PTs and more outside assistance to help with her care. And I was very adamant that I wanted to mainstream because I wanted it in our local school system. And so it was a lot of advocating and teaching them about my daughter's condition. So it's a lot of communication and a lot of working with the staff. So from that, I worked with the staff and we got her an educational aid. And I was very blessed because my dear friend, that I met at church was actually at the time subbing in the district as a secretary. And she was an ideal fit for both myself in the school district. So we went ahead and I made some calls to Pittsburgh General Hospital or Pittsburgh Children's Hospital is where I took my daughter to. And so I instilled them to help me train the aid for the medical things that my daughter needed. And It was a combination of working with them, working with myself, working with my dear friend and staff and basically communicating what her needs were and how they could best help her. That is definitely something we all need to be is advocates for our kids. Yeah. Again, I was very blessed because I had so many people in my path that I was able to pull from their resources and bring them in and show the school, yes. She really can be mainstream. Now, I'd love to tell you that, that everything went off without a glitch and that we could end this right now, but <laughs> things like that, you do have to keep working at it. And it is a constant working with the staff and also educating them. I think that was the biggest thing right there. 
they were coming out of fear and not understanding and not even knowing what they could do to help. So by trying to put things in place and put some safety nets in so that she could still be mainstream, but there were still safety nets where I felt comfortable sending her and they felt comfortable having her there. And that we knew that there was a plan that we could all, all of the needs were going to be met for everybody. Yeah. The educational aid, um, we got her in through kindergarten. Kindergarten year went well as could be expected. First grade, unfortunately, her aide needed to go out on medical leave. So again, the conversation came up that they wanted to send my daughter to the orthopedic unit. And I again said, no, we're not doing that. So I actually took a leave from my job to go in to be her educational aide while the aide was out. And at the end of that term, then the principal asked me if I would mind subbing for our district. And six years later, I was doing a lot of their long-term subs in the special ed unit. And by that time, my daughter was graduating from high school and on her way off to college. And I decided to go back and get my special ed education degree. Lo and behold, when I finished that, I was able to be hired by our district and work there for another 16 years as their K through two intervention specialist. Wow. Wow. So this experience, you know, these needs that your daughter had really led you to a position where you could share your genius and help so many other families. I love that. Yeah. Teaching was never on my radar. (laughs) (laughs) I am my first degree in my love from the time that I was a little girl, I was an accountant and Mm -hmm. I had my first degree. I had a bachelor's in business administration and accounting. And I actually was a tax accountant and I specialized in wills and estates. And so, yeah, it was the way that it all evolved. It just happened. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But that's awesome. I love the fact that you were in a place that just spurred you on to something different. Yeah. Although I love my CPA. She's like, she has saved me so much. So, but that's her genius. And that's where she has been led to serve people. So you worked with so many families that had children with special needs. Tell us about a little bit about that. I mean, how did you do that? Did you have to work with the district as well to, you talked a lot about educating the school when you got to the district level, did you have to educate the district as well? Absolutely. Communication, education, those are two of the biggest things. And networking. Um, Like I said, I had a lot of people, a lot of other resources out there because of things that had happened in my life and other resources that I could go to. But when I was working in the special needs Well, even when I was subbing and I was still holding meetings and writing IEPs for them, I was doing all of this thing, all this because, again, the small school district, you wear a lot of hats. And so I was actually taking on the role of a special ed teacher long before I actually got the credentials and became a special ed teacher. Mm -hmm. And I often said that when I went into any meeting, I always tried to remember what it felt like to be on the other side of the table. So one of the things that I think helped me the most with my parents of children with special needs is I was very compassionate to the fact that I actually sat on the other side of that table. 
So anything that I said to them, I wanted to make sure that it came across in a positive manner. And that being said, sometimes you do have to deliver not so pleasant information or data. But I always started all of my meetings with all of the positive things that we had seen or that we had accomplished and then went forward to what we still needed to work on. But I think putting it in a positive manner instead of, I don't know how many times I came out of meetings myself feeling like, wait, what, is there anything that we're doing right here? Is everything wrong? I did not want the parents to have that takeaway. So it was a lot of training and educating the people that I worked with within the system as well. Again, I was very blessed when I got the position full-time at the elementaries. Most of the people that I worked with, I had either worked with through my daughter or I was in a position that when we brought in title people, they started with me in my special ed classroom. And so I had the opportunity to start training them from day one. And so by the time that I retired, I had a very well-oiled staff that worked the way that I thought it should work. Um, Realizing that each student has special needs, each student learns differently, and it's our job to work with the parents and listen to what the parents are saying because the parents know their child better than anyone. And they can give us great insight as teachers as to how they learn or what we need to bring in to help them get to that next level. Yeah. No, I know I've, I've sat in, well, I've been part of IEP meetings before. And I know even as a teacher, I was very concerned about both sides of the table because, and having them communicate. What kind of advice can you give to our parents that might be listening to this about, you know, if their child does have some special needs and they do need to get those outside people involved. I know a lot of states have the school districts help these families, even if they are planning to homeschool. So I have to go to an old adage that my mother always told me, you'll get way more flies with honey than ever with vinegar. And so when you're dealing with anybody, staff, you always have to take a step back and you have to remember where they're coming from. Like I said, Mm -hmm. the one thing that I zoned in right away, a lot of the staff members in the local school district, they were lashing out because of fear. Well, Mm -hmm. that's something I could fix. So, Mm -hmm. and I think that communicating with them and always taking a step back and realizing that they're coming at this problem from a different place than you are. That's your child. You know your child. You know your child is capable of this, but you have to remember that they're coming from a different perspective, that they know your child in a different setting, in different context, with different demands being put on them. So Mm -hmm. I think that taking it all in and really taking holistic approach and then breaking that down into getting into the nitty gritty details of what your knowledge base is and what their knowledge base is and trying to find the common ground. Start with what do you both agree with? And I think that that's, you know, so many times people think that they're communicating 
But communication is two-sided. There's you speaking, and then there's the other side that has to understand and relate to what you said. And so many times you have both parties that are talking, but they're not communicating. Neither side is listening to what the other person is really saying. They've already got in their mind what they wanted to say, and they're going to fight and advocate for what they're advocating for instead of stepping back and finding the common ground. First, what do we want to accomplish? Mm -hmm. You want your child to be safe. You want your child to have a good experience. So if we can take a step back and say, okay, well, how do we do that? Then what do we do next? And a lot of the times when children are misbehaving in the classroom setting, it's for various reasons, comfort level, demands being put on them. No child sets out to be a troublemaker. It's just other things interfere with things. So just communicating. Yeah, no (laughs) communicating. Simple word, but it, I mean, really understanding it. Yeah. I know several IEP meetings that I attended. I was in the middle as the teacher and I personally knew these special ed teachers and they were just such loving women. But then the the parents were like, I've got to get this for my kid. And they were just out for blood. And that I was trying, I felt like I was trying to get them to communicate and they were just so focused. Someone had told them that, oh, they're not going to let you do this. You have to fight. You have to fight them. And yeah, that's, that is wonderful advice. I know I've seen that as well. You need to work on the communication. Well, and I was very fortunate too, because I always went to my staff and teachers Mm -hmm. and we always had a pre-meeting where I said, listen, we all want to be on the same page. Mm -hmm. This is what we want. What do you want accomplished here? What are Mm -hmm. we accomplishing? And then I had things worked out so that you're not getting hit cold. And then I would always do a pre-meeting with my parents as well to say, listen, tell me what you want worked out or what do you expect from this meeting? And then that way, it was a little bit easier for me to be the in-between person, because now if I know what the parents are coming to the meeting asking for, and I know what the teacher and the staff are requiring, then it gives me a chance outside of that meeting where things can get hostile to be able to put together some kind of a plan that's going to help address it. And then we just kind of fine tune it when we get all together and trying to keep the peace and trying to keep everybody on a positive level and not people's feelings get hurt. And once their feelings get hurt, they become defensive. Mm -hmm. And it's just a fact. So what's the best thing to not hurt their feelings? Well, let's say things in a positive, nice manner and be respectful to one another. And that's, I do have to tell you, there was probably one in all my years, there was one meeting that I had to shut it down. And I said, I think we really need to revisit this at another time, but we've accomplished all that we can accomplish today because it was just getting out of hand and things were being said and in not a nice way and it wasn't being productive. So if it's not productive, then don't be afraid to say, I'm sorry, I think we need to wait till all of us can come to our senses and uh, will we schedule and come back to this? Yeah, that's a really good idea. 
I love that you're you are advocating having very clear expectations from both sides before so that you can just come together and iron out the details. I love that. When I think, and I might have already shared this with you before in another conversation, but one of the things that I also learned when I had a very difficult um, student that was acting out a lot. And one of the best pieces of advice to me was think of one attend, one good thing. And sometimes that might be that student just breathing. So I can't say enough how you have to go down to those very, very little details. I mean, you have to take it down to just that one breath sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think also parents need to realize that we have to make goals. Goals are wonderful, but they have to be able to be met. So Mm -hmm. you can have a long range goal that might take us to the end of the school year. You can have a goal that might take us a couple years to get to, or we need to, what are we going to do just right now? So, and I think that that's very important too, when you talk about expectations, it's not that I don't want to meet some of those goals, but some of those goals are so far out that we have to do X, Y, Z before we can possibly even start to put those goals into play. Yeah. It's important, I think, also to keep track of those goals mm-hmm. because so often, especially when you're knee deep in it, it's like, okay, well, it's, it seems like nothing is happening where if you can look back and say, oh, yeah, we did accomplish this. There has been forward movement. It's just incremental. Those increments matter. My staff used to tease me all the time because, again, my first profession, I'm an accountant. I'm a whiz with spreadsheets, Excel spreadsheets, collecting data. And they would laugh because I would bring my data to the meetings and I would show the parents, you know, this is my baseline. This is what we started with. This is where we're at here. So I think that that's a very good point that you have to have data to back up what you're saying so that they can actually see, well, yeah, we gained two points, you know, or we gained 10 points. You know, and I think that was very beneficial for both the staff that I was working with and also for the parents to be able to show that we're improving. And unfortunately, those times when I was bringing the data and I'm going, wait, we have to change something because, okay, we've been here for six months now and we haven't we haven't mastered any better to this goal. So we've got to change something. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of hard to, when you have black and white figures like that, it's kind of hard to argue with it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can tell me that your child's doing that at home, but if I have data that that child is not doing it in the classroom, it doesn't mean that the child can't do it. It means that we need to change something, either that the teacher's doing or something in the classroom in order to make that child successful in the classroom to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. One of the things I love about you know what you've said so far is is that you need to teach the child the way they learn. And within the special education community, there is this, you know, IEP, individualized education plan. And I like that because it is meant for the child to help see how the child learns and meet the needs of the, the child and really to I mean, my thing is realizing genius, but it's to help them realize that genius that's within them. And I really like to think of having 
individualized education plans for every child to do that. In the special needs community, it's required. We have to do that for these kids. With these IEPs, how can we work with within a system, but still meet the needs of the kids? I know so many times I have been hindered. In fact, one of the reasons I left the school system was because the standards were getting in the way of education. Yeah. yeah. Well, so how, how can we do that? You have to think outside the box. And I think that understanding and knowing, and this is where the parents really come in handy, some of them more so than others. But for instance, for my attention deficit children, we already know there's lots of documentation out there that music helps them. And so one of the things that I had for a lot of my students, and again, it was a learning experience for the staff and the teacher to be accepting as well. But once they saw that by just putting headphones on this little person and playing, focusing music in the background low enough, they could see, they saw the benefit of that, that that child could now pay attention to what they were saying. At first they said, oh, no, 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 that's never going to work. The noise, it, and it took teaching them and doing it and them seeing that, oh no, that this really helps. Mm-hmm. I had another child that suffered from some other disorders. And one of the ways that now I've worked with, I would not recommend this unless you're working with an occupational therapist, but had vestibular problems. And so I got a spinning chair and I would bring him in several times through the day and spin him and do some core exercises with him. And by doing that, that teacher was able to get 45 minutes of his quality attention versus previously she was lucky if she would get five minutes. Mm -hmm. So yes, he had to be pulled out of the classroom for approximately five to 10 minutes for me to perform these things. And I did do it with the training of the occupational therapist, because you do have to be careful with spinning. It doesn't work with just everybody. There has to be a particular reason for it. But things like that, thinking outside of the box, bringing in new things, but you also have to make sure that people are able to, I can't tell you that they were always readily accepted, but after trying it and convincing them to just try it, it didn't take too many times for the people to start when I would come with out of the box things for them to say, well, we'll try it. We'll try it for so long and we'll see. And not everything works. Mm-hmm. I had a little boy that <laughs> I talked to the teacher and I said, okay, well, let's try giving him a standing desk in the back of the room so that maybe see if that helped. Well, that was a complete disaster. <laughs> All he ended up doing was laying on this the desk and then would spin himself round. <laughs> so not everything works, but you have yeah. to be able to think outside the box, give it an opportunity. And that was my other thing with my teachers. Can't shut it down after day one. You have Mm -hmm. to give it ample time. You have to give it at least a week, if not two weeks, to try to see if we can modify behavior. Yeah. My youngest sister is a classroom teacher, and I am so proud of her. She's an award-winning teacher, but in her classroom, she has you know the big exercise ball, she has standing desks, she has a couch, she has a beanbag chair, she has all of these different 
ways yes. that kids can get comfortable so that they can learn at least in that one environment, you know, they have choices. So I was able to write a grant and all of my children had either the standing desks or the big exercise balls or some other means. We did a lot of carpet time too, where, mm-hmm. and a lot of movement in my room back and forth. Like we would go to the carpet for one activity, then back to the desk for something else. And yeah, I think that that's important. You know, as an adult, we like to move around. I mean, I get up, I go get a cup of coffee, I go do things. It's foolish for us to think that just because these are little people, that they should also have to be able to withstand sitting there for a long period of time. Yeah. We had a lot of gadgets too. Did a lot of Velcro underneath the desks for sensory, for Velcro, for them just to feel the Velcro for some of them that were having trouble paying attention. You have to be very careful with fidget things because sometimes they become toys at the younger age. And there again, I was not afraid to put rules down and take items away. So Mm -hmm. when I give them a tool, it was all about, we had to have a training period with the tool. We had to talk about the tool. What is the tool to do? What are the things that you can do with this tool? What are the things that you cannot do with this tool? If you do this with this tool, you will not have this tool. And then if they do it, you take it away. And then maybe you introduce it again a couple of weeks later and you go over the rules again and it might work. We had the chewing toys and I had this one little girl that found a great fun to chew on it and then flick it. And Ooh. obviously you cannot have that because then spit's yeah. going everywhere. So yeah. it took several trials before she modified her behavior to be able to use that tool for a certain length of time because she lost it several times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to be yeah. flexible. You got to be flexible. I think that is another crucial point. Flexible mm-hmm. and don't be afraid to set rules. Mm-hmm. Rules are standards that we live by. And oftentimes with children of special needs, if they know the rules, it's much easier for them to stay and follow those rules. Now, obviously, you can't have 20 rules. You have to make them simple, but mm-hmm. basically, the simpler rules. Yeah, that structure that helps them understand what is coming, what is expected, what is normal behavior. Yeah. And consistency. Yeah, consistency. Yeah. yeah. Every time she flung that tool, she lost it immediately. Mm-hmm. It, so she learned and you can't say enough, even as adults, we do behavior modification. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I read all of these books about habits and, you know, uh, atomic habits. And yeah, I mean, all of these things are talking about behavior modification and it's a huge market. People are making millions of dollars for us to change our habits, you know, to help yeah. us to change our habits. I mean, and that's one of the things in the schoolroom. I mean, whether it's at home or in, you know, a traditional public school, behavior modification is a fact of life at every level. So, yeah. yeah. I did a lot of working with my parents too, with helping them with their students and how they learn. I think that that was a big part of what my always took out as part of my job was I needed to teach the parents how their student learned best because. Mm-hmm. I'm only going to have the student, I might pick them up in preschool and I see them maybe once or twice 
in preschool. And then I do have them from kindergarten through second grade, but then they leave me and they go on to third grade. So I would take that time frame with all of my communications with the parents to help teach them how their child learned best and what they needed to do to help that child learn. There's all kinds of tools and assessments and things that you can do to figure out how your child learns best. I mean, there's the multi-intelligence and there's just a number of tools that don't take that long to go through and learn about the child and really learn about the child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you were teaching the the parents to be better advocates when, after they left you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it was a small rural school system. So I also would go up for all of my second graders moving to the third grade. I had the benefit that I would take a couple of days at the end of the year and I would go up and converse with those teachers and the staff up there. And I would tell them, look, these are the things about this child. These are the important things that you need to know about this child. This is how this child learns. This is well, what they need. These are the supports that they need. And then, then they would carry that on. And then mm-hmm. Obviously, as a child ages, things change, and then they would change for the next setting, which would be the middle school and on up into the high school. So that was something else that we worked very hard from the time that I started there to put that in play, is that we had an entire structured system going from kindergarten all the way up to 12th grade when they leave. And then on to there, we had our counselors if they decided that they were going to be going to college or to trade school or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome. I am so grateful that there are people like you taking care of our kids and helping all of us parents with working with these kids. All of our kids have different challenges and different strengths. And being able to see that is really part of what I call a genius paradigm, being able to see those strengths and, and nurture those so that this child can realize their genius. And one of the things I'm so I'm also grateful for is that you were able to realize your genius and share it with so many people. And I know you made such an impact on all of their lives. And thank you so much today for impacting all of our listeners' lives with your genius. So thank you so much, Vicki. Thank you. I guess I leave on the note that I told my daughter from a very young age, I always told her, look, you can do whatever you want to do. You might have to work harder. You might have to have adaptations. It might look different than what somebody else does, but you really can do whatever you want to do in life. You really can. You just might have to do it differently or work harder. Yeah. Yeah. So, Oh, I love that. I love that. (laughs) Thank you again, Vicki. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Realizing Genius podcast. Head over to realizinggenius.com forward slash podcast for all the show notes and links and to share your ideas of anyone you would like to have me interview. Have a wonderful week realizing your genius.